Howdy, howdy, everybody. I'm Dakota Jesse. And I'm Kane Cook. I'm Justin Harrison. Guys, you already know who it is. It's Mingo Central Live. We are here with the first episode of Minor Talk, guys. Yeah, today we're going to talk about some present sports in the nation and how the professionals are doing today. Yeah, guys, we're going to be talking. Uh, the whole premise of this podcast that we plan on doing every now and again for a little while is we're going to be talking about current news in the NFL, NBA, MLB, uh, soccer, Basically, anything that we want to talk about, it'll it'll come up here about sports. And so we've got a couple things picked out for tonight, and I'm going to start it off. And a lot of you may have already heard that uh, Jason Witten, who retired from the Cowboys, is now coming back into the league. He announced it uh, Thursday. Uh, he was the tight end for the, uh, for the Dallas Cowboys. And along with him, he is not the only person to have ended his retirement. There have been... Quite a few, actually. Uh, some of them that didn't even last an entire offseason, like Brett Favre. Uh, but then he is joined by people like Randall Cunningham. And uh, he left uh, in 95, I believe. And around that time, he stopped and he went and worked in a granite and marble shop. Uh, but then in 97, uh, Coach Dennis Green for the Minnesota Vikings convinced him to come back as a backup. And then in 98, Randall Cunningham took over. And he led the team to a 15 and one record, and he started. And when he started, it was 13 and one. Uh, he threw for 3,704 yards and threw 34 touchdowns. <clears throat> uh, his, he had a contract extension actually worth up to 28 million dollars, uh, but he was benched after six seasons, uh, six starts in 1999, and he finished his career as a backup for the Ravens in 2001. Another one that joins him is Deion Sanders. <clears throat> And uh, also, guys, we're getting all of, I'm getting my information here from ESPN. And it was talk, it talks about how he was a defensive back with the Baltimore Ravens and after a full three seasons away from the game. He initially called it quits after the 2000 season, and he was so eager to get away that he forfeited part of an $8 million signing bonus he had received from the Redskins. In 2004, he signed with the Ravens and took the number 37 to match his own age. And in 25 games, in six starts, he intercepted five passes, returning one for a touchdown, and defended ten passes. Uh, but the Ravens missed the playoffs in both seasons, and he retired for good in 2006. He's also joined by Ricky Williams. Uh, it says he played longer after his first retirement than he did before it, but he never replicated his early career. After rushing for a combined 4,470 yards from 2001 to 2003 for the New Orleans Saints and Miami Dolphins, he retired uh, uh, rather than endure a 2004 drug suspension. At age 27, he moved to India to study yoga and holistic medicine. He returned for 12 games in 2005, rushing for 743 yards and six touchdowns, but was suspended and moved to the CFL in 2006. A torn pectoral muscle limited him to one game for the Dolphins in 2007. Then he went on to play four 16-game seasons between 2008 and 2011, he managed only one 1,000-yard season among them before retiring permanently at age 34. Then you have Bronco Nagurski uh, in 1943 at age 35. After five years away from the game, uh, he came out of retirement to help the Chicago Bears during World War II. He was best known as a running back. He was six foot two and 235 pounds and also played as a defensive tackle. Uh, the Bears owner George Hallis needed his help on defense more than anything, but he sneaked Nagurski onto the field for offense a few times. He played in eight games, rushing for 84 yards, and had a touchdown in the NFL championship game. And the Bears won that title with a 41-21 victory over the Redskins. 
And also recently you have Marshawn Lynch. Lynch retired in February 2016 after tweeting an image of his cleats hanging from a power line. At age 29, Lynch had missed nine games for the Seahawks and by all appearances seemed ready to move on from the field. Uh, as it turned out, he had one more goal to reach and he, he came back for his hometown team in Oakland, the Oakland Raiders. And after making his desires known in April 2017, he convinced the Seahawks to trade his rights to the Raiders. In 21 games over two seasons since then, Lynch has rushed for 1,267 yards and 10 touchdowns. And then last but not least on this list, we have Steve DeBerg, I believe. In the summer of 98, the Atlanta Falcons signed DeBerg to be their backup quarterback because they were concerned about depth behind starter Chris Chandler. He was 44 and had last been on an NFL roster in 1993. It was five years, Caden, before he had came back. Uh, he was a friend of Coach Dan Reeves and knew his offensive system. He also started one game and played in a total of eight as the Falcons marched to their Super Bowl. He had an 80.4 passer rating, completed 30 of 59 passes for 369 yards and three touchdowns. Says the only player in NFL history with more attempts at that age or older is Vinny Testaverde, who threw 172 at age 44 in 2007. So it's, it's safe to say, Caden, that Jason Witten is not alone in coming back from retirement. Uh, by reading that, some people have sat out a whole lot longer than him. Yeah, yeah, you could even incorporate Tom Brady, who has his age already at this at uh, this point in his life, and he's doing incredible too. Jason Witten, I look forward to seeing him play. I look forward to seeing this comeback. But I want to talk about another player who has a lot of controversy going on with him, Antonio Brown who has been said to have a bad temper lately. Because after, even after having the 49ers, the Saints, and the Raiders all interested in him, and he went on the show, LeBron James' talk show on HBO, uh, I believe last night, and absolutely tore apart Ben Roethlisberger. Talk about how bad of a quarterback, how it was all his fault that uh, they never made the playoffs. He tore him apart. And I think after all that time, that all these teams won't want won't be in, as interested in him as they were before after he just did that because they saw his temper for probably I'd say around the fourth time <laughs> in the past two months at most and he he just really kind of getting older as well like he's not the oldest yet but <laughs> he's he's out there in his years yeah with the age and like you said the the temper and the behavior. Some teams might be a little hesitant to be able to take all that on in that package there. And now I want to move on to uh, my final article that I'm going to pick here from the NFL. And like we said, all of my information that I'm getting right now is coming from ESPN. So you're able to go there and look up and read these articles for yourself if you want. Uh, but the NFL is now considering adding a sky, a sky judge to... Uh, I'll get it out here in a second. Sky judge to game crews. Uh, it says, the NFL Competition Committee left the scouting combine this week with a mandate to study and develop the concept of adding a sky judge to officiating crews, League Executive Vice President Troy Vincent said Friday. Uh, it said that there are many questions yet. They don't exactly know what the role and function of that official would be. Uh, but I believe, if I'm not wrong, that, that we see something similar in the AAF that's came up because yeah. most uh, most calls that I know that I've seen they have someone up in the up in the press box who's watching, and they have a better view. And usually the refs, they'll refer to him to see if uh, there's something going on. So I believe that that might be what the NFL is shooting for to try to 
maybe incorporate something from the AAF there to try to get better calls out on the field. I believe last time they incorporated something this big was the pylon cam, which now they use almost every touchdown that gets yeah. challenged. I myself think this will be a whole lot more useful than the pylon cam as the pylon cam is closer to the ground. You don't get that good of a view, and it's harder to tell. But uh, I want to move on to today's combine, in which running backs and O-linemen among special teams all came out. Run backs today. The best 40 time was Justice Hill. Uh, uh, best bench press time was Alex Barnes, who had 34 reps. Listen, this Justice Hill ran a 440, which I believe is incredible. It's absolutely beautiful. Justice Hill, who ran a 4.4, great job to him. But I want to talk about an old lineman here, Andre Dillard who ran the fourth best O-lineman 40 time with a 4.96. Eric McCoy running a 4.89. We had four linemen this year for the offensive lineman that ran above or below a five flat. The top three were interior offensive linemen. But I want to talk about Kyler Murray, too, because they're projecting him as number four in the draft. But I have multiple articles here saying that he is going to be number one most likely. But uh, they're saying that he's too short, that he's not good enough build to be a quarterback. But on the other hand, after seeing a play, after seeing a couple little videos of the combine so far, I think he's doing great. And I think he could at least go top three or two easily. Yeah, there's definitely, it sounds like, some pretty big talent coming up into the NFL. Really looking forward to seeing how these next – uh, these next couple seasons unfolds, watching these players progress on their teams and uh, maybe some of them even turn into leadership roles if they can manage to uncover some diamonds in the rough like we've been talking about. And uh, we're going to take a little bit of time here. I'm gonna, we're getting ready to transition now to the MLB, so I'm going to give Caden some time to look that up. And while he's looking that up, I'm going to talk about Mingo Central for a little bit because obviously we're Mingo Central Live. Uh, Mingo Central season was, uh, it ended first round of the playoffs. They uh, finished the season with, I believe, a 3-10 and 10 record. And the, the record doesn't show it, but their season was a lot better than what a lot of people th- thought it would be. I know a lot of people didn't even think that they would win a single game. And I know there for a while it was looking like they weren't going to win any games. But from the first game of the season until that playoff game, it was a completely different team at the end of that year. Even though they still only won three games, they had managed to to turn the team around and actually started playing as a team, started taking smarter shots. And I believe that there's a good chance that next year uh, we'll come out with a more experienced, uh, a more experienced starting lineup, maybe even a more experienced bench, and they'll be able to try to play better and uh, maybe bring home some more wins next year, Gabe. Yeah, hopefully. But really quick, I want to talk about Bryce Harper, who has just lately, I believe yesterday, signed a $330 million contract, 13 years long with the Phillies. This is going to be the biggest contract so far in MLB history, which I think is absolutely incredible. And this kid made the All-Star team at 19 and got MVP at 22. He has the talent, obviously, to back this contract up. And, you know, the Phillies have a lot of potential going into this upcoming season. 
And you, and you know, okay, when I hear that $330 million in a 13-year contract, that's a, a lot of money in a contract, but that is also a long time to be committed to a team. Yes, it is. Yeah, I don't, I don't think. Yeah, and you know, Caden, we see that, that it's not entirely usual. It's not normal for in the MLB for there to be a 13-year contract. That's not really common in any sport. 13 years is a long time to say that you will stay with a team. Yeah, and he's going to be getting $25.384 million a year. And if I have that right, that means he's going to be paying about $11 million in taxes. <laughs> Yeah. So I would hate to be this the guy that does this guy's taxes. Yeah, I believe that for for that many millions of dollars a year, though, 13 years might not last as long as he would even want it to. Nah. But if he performs good, like I, I would assume they're hoping he is, that he'll probably stay even longer if he, if he wants to. And now we have right-handed reliever Adam Warren he signed a $2.5 million one-year contract with the San Diego Padres. And the, the Padres actually hold a club option for 2020. And in order to make room for Warren, uh, the Padres placed left-hander Jose Castillo on the 60-day injured list with a left flexor strain. Uh, in 47 relief appearances between the New York Yankees and the Seattle Mariners last season, Warren went three and two with a three point fourteen ERA. This is over parts of seven major league seasons. Warren is twenty six and twenty three with six saves, and a three point forty two ERA. He will get two million dollars this year, and the Padres have a two and a half million dollar option for twenty twenty with a five hundred thousand dollar buyout. It says the contract allows him to earn one million dollars annually in performance bonuses for games and one million dollars in bonuses for innings. And obviously, compared to the last contract we just discussed, that is nothing. $330 million for 13 years compared to $2.5 million for one year with an option for 2020. That is uh, <laughs> that's a lot less than the other oh, one. Oh, yeah. I want to talk about the Yankees and Red Sox game this past year. The Red Sox beat the Yankees 8-5. to five. Which made them one to zero. New York Yankees zero one. Anyway, great game, low scoring except for the third inning, in which the Boston Red Sox closed out the Yankees five to zero. In baseball, you don't really see that a lot, but uh, totally, it ended up being a Red Sox game altogether. They did great. They just had great plays that entire game, and I'm very impressed. Bingy Yankees fan. <laughs> yeah. And I'm going to spend something. This isn't necessarily with the MLB, but I found the article here, and it, it sounds like it's pretty interesting. But it's an article about a one-armed little leaguer who hit a home run. And that's something that it seems like it would be pretty hard to do. It says, Tommy Morrissey, he was born with one arm. He is eight years old. He had an inside-the-park two-run homer after visiting uh, St. Louis Cardinals spring training and getting hitting lessons from Cy Young winner Chris, Har Chris Carpenter. He plays for the Palm Beach Gardens Young Athletic Association Little League Club, also named the Cardinals. He followed up his performance in the opener with another home run in the second game of the season, and it looks like there will be more to come in his future. So this, he is eight years old, 
was born with one arm and he has been hitting home runs. That is, that's impressive. And that, a lot for a lot of people, that would be an inspiration that anybody can play if they put their mind to it. I'm 14. I've been playing the game of baseball since I was five. And I've never seen a player who has even gotten close to hitting a home run. <laughs> Not once in my life. Let alone a little leaguer, eight, age of eight, born with one arm, hit a two-run home run. I think in my short time of playing baseball, I've only saw maybe one home run. So to say that he has got not just one but multiple already and he's only got one arm, is it's amazing. And he might turn into one of the, to one of the Griffins that went into the NFL might end up yeah. going to the MLB like that, and who knows, he might have a pretty bright future ahead of him. And now, unless you've got something else to add to the MLB, we'll transition to the NBA. And there has been a lot going on there, and my article that I'm going to talk about right here while I'm giving Caden time to find something uh, is about uh, the Raptors beating the Trailblazers 119 to 117. Uh, Kawhi Leonard made a game-winning shot in this game to put the Raptors up over top of the Blazers. Uh, let me see if it mentions here how many seconds there were. With three seconds remaining, Kawhi Leonard hit the shot, and then they went on to win by two points in that game, and that would be, it, it always sucks whenever a team loses, but I feel like it adds that extra type of resentment and anger kind of, and disappointment, whenever you lose by like two points and a game-winning shot, because obviously that was a nice matchup that night. Uh, and it mentions here that Kawhi Leonard used a screen by Kyle Lowry to drive against Damian Lillard, and then he rose up over his smaller opponent for the basket. Uh, Raptors coach Nick Nurse said, uh, we just practiced this exact scenario yesterday. It was great. Kyle sets a screen and we try to get the smaller guy so he can shoot, so he can just vault up over him and shoot. And it said that they had the same play moments earlier with Lowry making a layup, and then when the play was called again, Leonard was more interested in keeping the ball himself. said, I was looking to get baseline. The first time I had seen I could, get, I could be a little bit more aggressive, and that's what I did the second time down. Leonard scored 38 points, and Lowry had 19 points and 10 assists as the Raptors won for the ninth time in 10 games. Toronto is an NBA best 11-4 in games decided by three points or fewer. Lowry said, just staying composed and understanding the situations aren't always going to be perfect. So to say that that was a close game and one exciting for fans, and especially the players and the coaching staff who probably wanted to pull their hair out watching that game, it would had to have been one that kept you on the edge of your seat, Caden. Yeah, and now I want to talk about something that happened a couple years ago that corresponds with something that happened this past week. Years ago, Kobe Bryant, in the last seconds of the game, shoots one from the three-point line. It would be almost impossible to make. Goes off the backboard, goes in, ties up the game, though, in no team. Anyway, against the Warriors this past week, Dwayne Wade made a similar impossible, in quotation marks, <laughs> shot as a send-off for his retirement this year. Uh, it was absolutely unforgettable, incredible. It was beautiful. Uh, Dwayne Wade, Miami Heat, played there all his life. Played with LeBron, played in the All-Star game this year. 
great, just just a great player. Like you know, you know those players where yeah, they can do anything they need to do. It seems like anything that they are assigned, anything they have to do, they'll get it done. Yes, kind of like Draymond Green. Yeah, he can play in the paint, but if he needs to, he can shoot. That's how Dwayne Wade is. He's just unstoppable. And now we're going to move on uh, with the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, they have agreed to a four-year, $70 million contract extension for Eric Bledsoe. Uh, General Manager John Horst said Friday that the team has agreed with Bledsoe on the extension and are moving toward finalizing it. Uh, he said, we are excited to have Eric continue to be a core part of the team. Uh, if they hadn't have signed this four-year, $70 million deal, uh, Bledsoe would have become an unrestricted free agent this summer but he wanted to play the rest of his prime with the franchise and finalized an extension that will start to set the market for free agent guards in the July marketplace. And Bledsoe was quoted as saying, right now, we gel him. And then uh, when asked why he didn't wait until free agency to sign the extension, he said, I'm around a great group of guys. They're like brothers to me. They, they took me in with open arms last season, and it's paying off right now, so why not? And you know, okay, and I think that that's something that Maybe in some players around the league it's lacking, but I've seen a lot of players that they have this this type of commitment where they want to play in their prime years and their early years when they're starting to hit their peak. They're wanting to play their uh, years with the team that they're currently with, and they, they're not really interested in going anywhere else. And that that's the case with uh, Eric Bledsoe. He said so himself. And uh, so, yeah, he is getting a four uh, four year seventy million dollar contract. We've had a lot of contract articles that we've read about here today. Yes, we have. Anyway, uh, I want to talk about Giannis Antetokounmpo for the Bucks, the team you just now mentioned, playing in the All Star game. Steph Curry dribbles up behind him. Antetokounmpo jumps up and slams it down. And when I say slams it down, he destroyed the net. But I want to talk about how high he jumped. You know this guy's already tall enough. Uh, and how exactly high is an NBA net? It's like 13, 12, 13 feet. Yeah, somewhere like around there. Yeah. This dude cleared that by at least two feet. <laughs> no joke whatsoever. This dude could have dunked it probably the height of this house. <laughs> like it was nothing. And I'm just absolutely shocked by that. But another thing that happened, corresponding with Dwayne Wade earlier, this is his retirement year. When they were younger, Dwayne Wade and LeBron, all Dwayne used to always alley-oop LeBron. And there's a picture now of where Dwayne Wade ooped LeBron in the All-Star game. And it says uh, he looked away for the early ones because Dwayne Wade was looking away from the oop because it was a normal thing back then. <laughs> And in this one, you can see Dwayne Wade looking back just to see that same thing one more time before he leaves. And honestly, that just hit me in the heart. Like, that's one of those yeah. things where you just can't believe it's actually happening. Like, I feel like, I know he's not Michael Jordan, but I feel like Michael <laughs> Jordan's retired. That's that's how I feel right now. And now we're going to give Caden just a little bit of time to find an article here because I've got all these things... ESPN's real organized with their stuff, and Caden's, he's going off of different websites than I am. But now we're going to move on to college football. And the first article that I'm going to read here is that the NCAA has proposed a rule toughening a, the second targeting call. And if the, if, the, if the proposal is adopted, then players who commit a second targeting penalty in the season 
will be forced to miss the rest of the game and their team's entire next game. Uh, as of right now, if you commit a t if if a player commits a targeting uh, penalty, they're ejected from that game and are required to miss the first half of the next game. So this penalty, uh, it's looking to improve player safety and it, it's taking people out of an entire game, which, of course, when you're in the NCAA and you're looking to try to make it up to the NFL into the pro leagues like that, you you don't want to miss a single game. So that that really in my opinion, I feel that will discourage a lot of people from targeting in the league. Yeah, and I want to talk about the national championship this year. Clemson's quarterback and the connections that he made this past year. Clemson won the national championship over Alabama, which is the powerhouse of college football, as we all know. Absolutely unstoppable. But uh, they didn't just beat him. They, I'm going to be honest here, they destroyed him. Trevor Lawrence, a freshman quarterback, leads his team, Justin Ross, T. Higgins, and Amari Rodgers were his receivers. He led them against Alabama and had some of the most beautiful catches of all time. I think it was Justin Ross had a stretched his entire arm out and had a pretty much off-the-fingers catch <laughs> with one hand. It, it was beautiful. Anyway, I believe this kid's going to be great one day. He's going to go into a draft. He's going to be at Stoppel here in a couple years. And he's going to be the next Baker Mayfield. That's all I'm saying. I'm calling it right now. <laughs> I will call it right this second. And years from now, we're going to go back and we're going to listen to this. This kid will be the next Baker Mayfield. Yeah, we'll come back to this podcast and we'll see how accurate that statement is. And who knows, it might end up being pretty accurate. And now, my next article that I'm going to be reading is that Wisconsin quarterback Alex Hornerbrook is transferring. Uh, the school confirms that on Wednesday. He has been the Badgers' starting quarterback the past three seasons and is entering his fifth year of eligibility. Uh, the Wisconsin coach Paul Christ said Alex informed us of his decision to leave the team earlier today. He contributed to a lot of our recent success, and we want to thank him for all he did for our program. We wish him the best of luck. The best of luck. Okay, my bad. <laughs> Uh, Hornerbrook was 26-6 and six in three seasons as the Badger starter. In nine games this past season, he completed 59.5% of his passes for 1,532 yards and 13 touchdowns with 11 interceptions. While Wisconsin ranked number one in rushing yards for all FBS programs, the Badgers ranked 115 in passing yards. Uh, it says that he dealt with back and head injuries throughout the 2018 season and it gave Jack Cohn playing time in an up-and-down season. In his three seasons as the starter, Hornerbrook threw for 5,438 yards and 47 touchdowns with 33 interceptions. Uh, they signed the number one pocket-passing quarterback in the 2019 class in Graham Mertz, who's ranked number 21 overall in his class. Mertz is a six-foot three, 205-pound recruit from Blue Valley North High School in Overland Park, Kansas. He enrolled early at Wisconsin and now joins Cone, who will be a sophomore in 2019, and Chase Wolf, who signed in the 2018 class. Yeah, and uh, Oklahoma football. I want to talk about this for a second. Kyler Murray, he went into the combine. He's no longer with them. Guess who the backup will be that just transferred there a couple months ago? You're going to hear this name a lot soon. Jalen Hurts. Oh, yeah. You've heard it before, and you'll keep hearing it. Jalen Hurts will be the next Oklahoma 
quarterback. And I think that's absolutely amazing. They're coming off one good quarterback after another. You got Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray, and now you're going to have Jalen Hurts come out there. I think he's going to be a beast. And uh, West Virginia University. We're here in West Virginia. We love West Virginia. This state's <laughs> great. Anyway, West Virginia University, they're going to be all right this year. We don't know if they're going to be perfect. They're going to be all right. Yeah. <laughs> I think with Will Greer leaving, David Stills, all them leaving, they might not live up to a hype that they're going to get. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how WVU progresses uh, to see the transition here from Will Greer into their next set of into their next quarterback here, and I'm really looking forward to watching them and seeing how their team goes on. And now our second to last uh, little section that we're going to do here tonight, and uh, guys, well, I also want to say that this podcast is not really under any constrictions on what type of sport we'll announce. So you might come here and watch one session, and we'll talk about football and basketball and all that. You might come here another time. We'll talk about soccer and stuff like that. It really just depends on where the news is coming from and what we think is interesting. Uh, but now we're going to go to NASCAR because we know that some people like NASCAR around through here, and I know that I'm definitely one of those people. And the article that I'm going to read is that Kyle Busch took Vegas for the second straight trucks win. Uh, he won his ho- Kyle Busch won his hometown race on Friday for his second straight NASCAR Truck Series victory a week after winning at Atlanta to break a tie with Ron Hornaday Jr. for the series victory lead, Bush won at Las Vegas Motor Speedway for his 53rd career win. Uh, Bush said, It's cool to win here in your hometown, being in Las Vegas, starting off a triple weekend. Hopefully we can keep it going. Uh, he swept the opening two stages and had a big lead with 20 laps to go when he left when he went for a pit stop. Brett Moffitt gained some ground down the stretch, getting within a half second, but could not take the lead. Bush led 111 of 134 laps after starting from the pole. We obviously had a really fast truck tonight. We worked really hard on this thing to get it to get it there. We didn't start great in practice, but overall proud to be in victory lane. Continuing on Kyle Bush, this article here states that Kyle Bush does not plan on leaving Joe Gibbs Racing pretty much ever until he retires. And also, I respect that. I respect somebody going to a particular uh, franchise and staying there. Like, when a f- uh, quarterback goes to a franchise, stays there all his career, and retires. That's something you can just get behind, you know? It's just like... Yeah, there's just an, there's an extra respect that's given yes. whenever they stay with uh, their sponsors or when they stay with their team. Yeah, he's been with them since 2008. They were talking in the middle of 2007. And if you're going to be with him 11 years, I can respect you for that. Yeah. You've given up 11 years of your racing life, which is a pretty good amount of time, to this particular franchise, then good for you, man. Good for you. And my final article that I'm going to be reading from tonight is about Kyle Larson. He personally apologized to the te- to team owner Ricky Hendricks this week after jokingly saying in an interview that Hendrick Motorsports cheats. It says, while the Chip Ganassi racing star doesn't plan to stop the opinionated honesty that earned him the catchy new nickname and spawned a few accompanying memes, Larson also realizes his delivery can improve. He said, I think I could be genuine with just using different words. Maybe I should buy myself a thesaurus or something. Uh, he remained repentant at 
Friday at Las Vegas Motor Speedway, four days after he raised the eyebrows in his video in his interview with NBC Sports. Uh, he insists the comment was meant in jest, which seems likely when you watch it, uh, but he also realizes why a lot of people uh, saw it, that he was actually being serious about it. Uh, Larson said, in writing, it comes across totally different. I think that's where I got myself in trouble. I've just got to remind myself that it's hard to express tone and sarcasm and stuff through text. I just need to do a better job at that and probably choose better words. So, I want to talk about Brad Kozlowski in Atlanta now. You're thinking, what What about Brad Kozlowski? <laughs> it's Brad Kozlowski. Anyway, so this kid loses his father, goes to a race, didn't enjoy it because his father was just racing, buddy. They were to races all the time. They would laugh. They would. It was just bonding time for them. Goes to a race, doesn't enjoy it. Some mother talks him into going back to another one. Kid walks up to a guy, says, who are you? He goes, oh. Hey, I'm Brad Kozlowski. Like you wouldn't know Brad Kozlowski or something. Anyway, Brad takes him around. Apparently now they're racing buddies. Uh, just imagine that. Having something so traumatic happen in your life. Then meeting one pretty much of your icons, yeah. basically. One of the people that do the main thing you love. I, I, I respect Kozlowski right now, too, because... He went out there knowing that that kid was probably there, knew his face and everything. Yeah. I mean, a good thing for Kozlowski to do. And now, guys, we're going to wrap up this with one last little segment, and it's going to be about speculation. We're going to talk about the Mingo Central football team next year and how we think that the team will do. I will be the first to say that they – Blew my socks off last season. I did not expect the Mingo Central football team to be near as good as they were. I thought that after losing players like Jeremy Dillon and uh, other players like that, that Central was going to have a hard time recovering from that and that it was going to take a couple seasons uh, to, to, to transfer over to the new players. But uh, quarterback Dalen Goad came out full force and act, he, he stunned me with a sophomore. He'll be a junior next year, I believe. Yeah. And I believe that the Mingo Central football team has some incredible potential led by head coach Josh Shamans. And I cannot wait till we are back in the press box announcing those games on Fridays. Yeah, you got Joey Fields back at offensive coordinator. <laughs> yeah. Dale and Gobe was fourth in the state this year at quarterback. And this kid's a sophomore. We'll have him for two more years. I'm absolutely thrilled. I, I can't wait. I, I just can't wait. Yeah, I, I, he definitely has some huge potential. If he can keep it up over his next uh, two seasons up here at Central, then he definitely has a bright future ahead of him. If he plays like he has been playing because for a sophomore to be putting up as many touchdowns and as many yards as he has with uh, the, the fairly small amount of interceptions that he's got, it is amazing for a sophomore quarterback to be performing at that caliber. Yeah, uh, one problem I believe with this upcoming team, though, is receivers. Yeah. You Drew and Devin Hatfield lead. Uh, Billy Mitchum graduated. You have one receiver out there that you had last year being uh, Isaac Moore. You're going to have to find some people quick, get them out there, train them quick, and hope and pray that something good happens in that first game. Yeah, and I think that one other thing that uh, the Mingo Central football team will be lacking, and unless they can manage to find someone over this summer, which is pretty likely, 
is where Billy Mitchum is graduating this year, Mingo Central will not have a kicker now. So they're going to have to try to find somebody to fill Billy Mitchum's shoes and uh, someone who will be able to kick off the on the kickoff, someone who might even be able to come in and kick the PATs. But we have saw some players who have attempted to try to kick PATs with uh, Mingo Central over the past couple seasons, and it hasn't worked out. But I believe that next season, unless they can find someone, we're going to be seeing a whole lot more two-point conversions and a lot shorter kicks on, on the kickoff, Caden. Yeah. Hopefully uh, our special teams will be dominant next yeah. year. We're going to need some big and fast guys out there to get to the guy quicker because Billy could kick. <laughs> yeah. There's no way around that. That boy could boot a ball down the field any way you wanted him to. He could put it with pinpoint accuracy almost. I remember pre-games we would watch him and he would punt it from the 45 and he'd land on the one-yard line like – Absolutely incredibly. And, uh, well, guys, that, that's going to do it for this podcast, guys. And be sure that if you have any recommendations on what you think we should do to change it up to make it more entertaining for you all to listen to, uh, message our Facebook page, either the Mingo Central Live Facebook page uh, or me, Dakota Jesse, or Caden Cook, or Justin Harrison. Message any of us anytime. We'll look at it, and we'll see if we're not able to incorporate some of your, some of your guys' ideas. Uh, but that's going to do it for this first episode of the Minor Talk Podcast. Again, I'm Dakota Jesse. And I'm Caden Cook. Guys, we'll see you all next time. Most importantly, as always, guys, God bless.